This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way, except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Welcome to the campfire of the great American scream. I'm here to tell you a tale, a tall tale. It's tale of what? A tale of what? Excuse me? Excuse yeah, me. Yes, you me. You in the back with the funny hat. A, a tale of what? Uh, murder, probably. <gasps> I'm not really, I was just, the guy who was supposed to do this, uh, he had to bow out. He had a uh, Freemasons meeting. Oh, he was oh I wasn't supposed to. Oh, jeez. <laughs> anyway, he couldn't be here today. And he just wanted me to come. Uh, I'm uh, Ballad Gregory, the poet. And I'm here to tell you a tale. Uh, somebody give me a name and a profession. <laughs> Listen, that's, I know you're going. I know you're going in blind ballad, to this. That's what yeah, old school I, balladeers did, right? It was pretty much. Like, I know you're going into this kind of blind, but this is not entirely far off from okay. what we're going to be talking well, about today. Welcome to the You kind of place stream. it in the right region, too. Thank you. Thank uh, you. For what we're talking about. So, uh, welcome. I, I have a natural power. Uh, welcome to the Great American Scream. Uh, I'm Devin. Uh, I'm Adam, and uh, like Devin said, today we're going to sit sit ye down for a tale of of intrigue and murder, oh. but not not in the true crimey way. Good. Um, but actually, a much older um, kind of version of true crime and an example of of people's like cultural interests in gruesome violence and tales of horror. Um, because today we are going to talk about the murder ballad. Um, which I'm really excited to talk about. And I just found out a minute and a half ago that, that Dev's never heard of a murder ballad. Yeah. I mean, like I can kind of parse together that it's like kind of a form of like epic poetry, right? Like it's kind of, uh, Homeric yeah. poetry, but about a murder and probably in the like Renaissance slash middle ages. Yeah, I mean, like, you know what a ballad is, and, like, when we talk about the old school sense of the ballad. I know what a ballad so. is, and I know what murder is. So, there <laughs> so go. Um, and this is a long, 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 long music tradition that's gone back a very long time. Um, and they continue to be kind of everywhere, even though we don't think of them as murder ballads anymore. Um, but songs like Pumped Up Kicks, Jenny Was a Friend of Mine, Goodbye Earl, I Shot the Sheriff, Copacabana, actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf, all... Murder ballads, technically. That, that last one a, is the most important one. Yeah, that's yeah. a murder ballad. It's a straight up murder ballad. And they, like, uh, I I would imagine that they also find their kind of cultural descendant in something like, uh, uh, what's the, uh, before, before he cheats? Yeah. Like that kind of revenge ballad as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they all fall into kind of the same camp, but like, especially of this list, like Goodbye Earl by the Chicks is just a straight up murder ballad. Oh, for sure. Um, and so yeah, we love shows about murder. We love movies about murder. I don't know if anybody this is gonna date this episode, but if you saw the SNL sketch from last week with all the women who were singing about watching a murder show, it's I like don't... murder show, murder show, <laughs> time to watch a murder show. And then Nick Jonas came in with like cult show, cult show, murder shows and cult shows. I uh I'm a man funny. of culture. I don't watch it. I liked it. I thought it was funny. I liked it. Um, but yeah, so it, it like in this like cultural zeitgeist, we all love murder shows, murder shows, cultures and murder shows. So how 
this is kind of like the earliest example of of these and kind of like how we got here. Yeah. So let's let's define what murder ballads are for uh, those in, in Devin's camp. Um, so in traditional music, when we're talking about like traditional music, like Renaissance, medieval, mm. a, a ballad is a story song or like an event song that is strictly dedicated to narrating an event. No views right. about it. No poetic versions. No metaphors. It's like this happened, this happened, this happened, and this happens. Right. Um, and I think when we think of a ballad now, like if someone's like, oh, that song's a ballad, we think about songs that talk about a lot of like feelings or relations. Like whenever I hear the word ballad, I think of Michael Bolton's How Am I Supposed to Live Without You? Because that is a ballad in what we right. know what a modern ballad right. is. In most mus- in a musical sense, ballad in modern context means something different. Like like it it's uh like uh it, it again relates to like ballad. We don't have a a place in modern culture for poetry as like a mass art form and ballad in a poetry sense in the like classical way what poetry actually means that's more what we're talking about because poetry doesn't just mean literal poems it also means long-form storytelling and oral tradition yeah like uh so beowulf there's like debate about whether it was originally orally uh told but like mm-hmm. that's a form of a of a ballad or an epic poem in the same way the iliad the odyssey yeah so a bit like before this 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 modern ballad that we know it today the the purpose of ballads was to tell a story about either a real one or or a made up one of just like this is what happened this is what's going on so in the case of murder ballads the event we're singing about is a murder is a is a ding ding murder is it, a gentleman's guide to love and murder is is a ballad is a murder a very it, long form a murder very ballad. long murder ballad with smaller murder ballads <laughs> sprinkled throughout yeah. Um, so ballads uh, were used to make money by these people who sang them, balladeers, as they were called. Um, and with performers would sell them outside of courts, like telling like, hey, you want to know what just went on in there? Give me 20 bucks and I'll, I'll, I'll so sing good. to you what just happened in there. Um, so they were like tabloids. That's what stenographers should do now. Just sell them. They, they do tick, 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 and then they go outside. They were pretty much like tabloids, like yeah. either they, they were used to spread information, whether or not it was true or an exaggerated version of the truth. And it's right. how like a lot of like legends that we know involving murders kind of came to be yeah. was because of these exaggerated stories from these balladeers. You would imagine that in uh, like the 18th 19th century version of this is the stuff like the Bell Witch, where like stuff was kind of passed down in a folklore kind of way. But mm-hmm. during the times of these big uh <laughs> settlements without plumbing that was renaissance western europe mm-hmm. that that was that kind of that was where those cultural touchstones came from yeah and the perspective of the ballad can change depending on the murder ballad it's a pretty wide genre they can be from the point of view of the murderer either demonizing them or painting them in some kind of sympathetic light or they can be from the point of view of the victim those seem to be very common um, and then others are just from a total outside neutral party third point of view, um, which are kind of the objective, like X, Y, and Z, this is what happened yeah. once. I'm starting to think that every single form of media is actually secretly a murder ballad, because now I'm thinking of like uh, crime noir, where they like step out uh, and oh, like talk okay. to the camera, <laughs> which also yeah. feels very, very ballady, <laughs> which is weird. also the best who's line skit, I would oh, say. I I'm gonna, always forget about that one. It's so good. I, I think, you know, this is again, this is in our separate sub podcast, the Who's Line, <laughs> you know, uh, everything is made up and the pod doesn't matter. Uh, That's good. Sh- thank you. Thank you. Where we talk about <laughs> Who's Line is it anyway? But I think 
that that mini that game is the best one. Um, when we finish with this, I'm gonna go and look up and see if anybody does a Who's Line podcast. They have. To. That's funny, and I would really listen to it. Um, I don't and, know what they talk and if about. They don't, but... We have to do it because. Yeah. That is another place in which our friendship blooms is talking about yeah. who's lightest in anyway. So um, back to murder ballads. Okay. Um, many traditional murder ballads tell of the victim being a woman, usually innocent and helpless to her fate, being led astray somehow yeah. by her murderer. Um, while the portrayal of the killers ranges from sympathetic to this very chilling, like meant to scare you. Mm. This person is a monster. Everywhere um, from uh, reminding adults of how the society hierarchies work and why the patriarchy exists to scaring little kids into remembering what the patriarchy <laughs> exists for. Um, and murder ballads make up a pretty big portion of like traditional ballads um, coming from places like the British Isles and Scandinavia mostly. Um, and in the British Isles, they appeared in English and Scottish regions, mostly the ones that we know about and not in Irish or Welsh regions. Mm. And you'd think that the Irish were singing about murder but I think we were too busy singing about how much we hated the English to write songs about murder. Right. I mean, I'm sure they were in some ways about murder, but they yeah. were more so about the fact that the people we were murdering were definitely going to be English. Yeah. Like that was the more important part was the anti-English part. And um, also you'd imagine that with the kind of systematic uh, demolishing of Gaelic culture that there might have been murder ballads, yeah. but that they we we lost just don't them. have them. Um, and these kind of early ballads usually tell a full tale of murder and justice, like the entire mm. scope of the story with the murderers at the end, either usually being burned or hanged, usually burned if it's a woman or hanged if it's a man, but Makes sometimes sense. they, they switch it up. Um, <laughs> sometimes for a little spice. Yeah. So all in all, this was a very much an early true crime thing. And people have always been fascinated by grisly stories of murder a lot because like, Back in like Renaissance Western Europe, what else are you gonna do all day? Yeah, what are you gonna listen, do with your time? Listen to these balladeers. Um, and whenever something particularly grisly happened, medieval and Renaissance writers would turn it into a rhymed poem or a song. Uh, that's how you got the news. Like, right uh, to a largely Ill Ill illiterate population, you sang it to them. Right, and because uh, it was hard to remember large chunks of information, parts of the ways that you made it memorable, not only to the audience, but to yourself as a balladeer, is you made it rhyme and you made it musical. Yeah. Like, that like, makes a lot cool. of sense. That's cool. You could put it on a, just a so very cool. beautiful, like, tapestry with, like, dragons and and stuff on it but you could g then give it to somebody and be like this is beautiful i can't read i don't know what this says <laughs> thank you so much um, i can't read so you had to sing it to them um so let's talk about some of the eras of the murder ballad okay. and kind of how they've changed over the years and we'll starting kind of with these early early ballads i want to start by talking about a ballad called edward as it's a kind of primo example and it's a of prequel to early, twilight yeah okay <laughs> of kind of like an early murder ballad um so there's no real one song that is edward um oh i didn't mean to share my screen oh my so gosh sorry. you have so many my, youtube tabs open just my audio oh, okay <laughs> this is a little spoiler Guys, i can't stress enough that the the top of the google chrome window is full of youtube tabs you can't see any words on them it's just the youtube <laughs> was, icon and that, that's all the sound cues that I have oh, okay. queued up for you to hear. Okay, now I have the audio sharing. So there's no real one version of Edward. Um, we only really have a loose story of what Edward is that has changed from version to version. So generally the story stays the same, but the lyrics, the melody, the structure of the song 
varies from version to version. Okay. And this song is at least 250 years old, if not much older, probably coming from an early ballad called the Twa Sisters. Um, it's categorized as child ballad number 13. If you don't know what a child ballad is, the child ballads are 305 traditional ballads from uh, England and Scotland uh, categorized by Francis James Child, which I only and found out researching the episode. I thought they were- They were just ballads for children. <laughs> I don't know. I thought they were all ballads about children because oh, Edward's okay. about a child. So gotcha. I was like, oh, they're called the child ballad because- <laughs> All about children. This is yeah. how we categorize this, them. This is me outing myself as a fool. Um, the song is also sometimes known as Son David. Um, again, varies in version to version. So the basic story is that a mother questions her son about the blood on his sword. Sometimes it's on his sleeve, sometimes it's on his shirt, most of the time on his okay. sword. Uh, he, he claims, no, mom, it's fine. This is from my hawk. This is from my horse. This is from the dog. This is whatever. Um, again, it would also raise a red flag, but I guess right. back in the day. <laughs> Why did you stab your hawk? We paid that good money fine. for that hawk. Um, and in some combination or order, and then finally admits that it is either his brother or his father. Most of the time I've heard his brother, but some of the early ones are his father who he has okay. killed. Uh, then he declares that he is leaving and will never return. Good. And then there's verses about how all of the other children and the wife and the livestock will have to fare on without him. Oh. Um, and then his mother then asks what she will get from his departure. And he answers, quote, a curse from hell and implicates his mother in the murder. Oh, okay. Um, so I don't this, like this guy. <laughs> so this is what it sounds like. And this is kind of like the closest thing that I could find to like what would have sounded like in a renaissance medieval sense. Okay. Why does your sore so drip with blood? Edward, Edward. Why does your sore so drip with blood? And why so sad are you? And why so sad are you? Yeah, that's basically what the first verse would sound like in kind of a okay. medieval-y sense. Okay, I like how um, she says Zor instead of Zor. Yeah, well, I think this is a Scottish group singing uh, gotcha. it. gotcha. Um, but of course, there have been many, many variations on this following this kind of loose structure. Uh, there was a particularly popular version uh, told in, in Ireland in the 1960s by okay. a one John or Jack O'Reilly. Um, not Jack O'Reilly. Jack O'Reilly. Oh, that okay. was important that you knew that. Because Jack um, so O'Reilly is the guy who does oh, 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 O'Reilly <laughs> auto part. <laughs> so this is uh, this is what Jack O'Reilly's uh, version sounds like. This was insanely popular in Ireland in the 60s. Oh, that is the blood of a And you may pardon me, me. And you may pardon me. Yeah, so that's what that one sounds like. Okay, I like that I one. love the idea of everybody out, like, especially England in the 60s, like, modding to the Beatles and stuff. Yeah, and then <laughs> these guys are like, we're ready. I, I also like, again, as, like, a an American listening to what he replies to his mother of, like, oh, that's something something. And mm -hmm. I didn't understand in his accent what he was saying. So it it's sounds a hair. like... I, I guessed that, but what it sounded like was... Oh, that's a hmm, 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 hmm. <laughs> like he was like just going, oh, it does sound like a Southern Irish accent or possibly quite north. It's either like that's the thing about like one or middle Ireland, middle Ireland. The accents are pretty accessible to Americans. If you get too far right. south or too far, too far north, you get nothing. Yeah. Um, so there have uh, not all versions of this ballad follow because those are kind of similar in melody and in structure and in lyrics. 
um, just with some variation. Not all of them follow this. Um, there's a version by a modern group called American Murder Song, which are one of my favorite like little known music groups. Uh, they're from name. the same folks that brought you Devil's Carnival. Um, and their whole shtick is that they write original murder ballads that sound like they're from the 19th century about famous historical events. So they wrote it about the 1816 year without a summer. They wrote an album about the Donner Party. Um, they're all really good, but this is their version of Edward. Tell not for nor lie, sit to me, O murder child. Troubles in your eye, speak to me, O murder child. You bite the hand that feeds and crows, so down here naked in the snow. Tell not for nor lie, speak to me, O murder child. Now, does this have anything to do with the other versions? Not really. No, but it, it but slaps. It slapped really hard. I think this we, is the first version I heard. So imagine my surprise yeah. when I actually looked it up and found out what the song actually sounds like. We have a we're kind of cursed in the fact that we, you know, partially were artistically formed at the New York Renaissance Fair. So that music to us is like, oh, yeah, let's go. Yeah. Um, like listening so then to I the kinda, Donnybrook Affair at the gym. Ah, oh man, I also listened to Donnybrook Affair at the gym. Um, so let's kind of move on from these these early, because what these early ballads led into and the reason that they were preserved um, throughout the shifting, like, because they were really prevalent in like the 19th century. And the reason they preserved for so long is actually um, through Appalachian folk music mm. um, is where a lot of murder ballads kind of ended up that became what we know as country music or like what the 1950s of country music was. Right. And what um, the f- what the folk line of country music is, because in yeah. American country music, you have a few different pretty clear lines between uh, like Southern kind of uh, more more white Southern uh, musical styles and then a lot of black Southern musical styles. And then you also have like the Kentucky bluegrass, which is mm-hmm. kind of a mix of that and the Appalachian. And then you have like true Appalachian folk. Yeah. And most of this is true Appalachian folk. It's very like if you think about what country in the 1950s sounded like, mm. uh, very similar. Um, and many 19th century ballads were preserved through covers by country singers like Dolly Parton, Johnny Cash, like pretty much oh. every... One of those kind I of wish classic this was a Dolly country singers-based podcast. I wish that we could go back. There's two years. several Dolly Parton Parton based podcasts. Yeah, but I'm saying I wish that that's what we did. <laughs> now I'm realizing. Um, and what I love about these country versions of these traditional ballads is that often they are insanely happy sounding. They're very jovial. Like they are jams, but their lyrics are absolutely gruesome. Yeah, I mean those are like so. I I feel like that's really appealing, especially to, uh, again, you kind of get a feeling of uh, like American uh, lower class, like working class people, uh, laborers finding the kind of joy in these upbeat songs that are about bad things. It, It very much reminds me of the black musical tradition in America as well. That's like, that's so, that's sick. Like that, yeah. that is why these songs are good. Um, take the song Poor Ellen Smith, for example, which is a, a pretty popular ballad from the late 19th century originally. Um, with these later ballads, we start to get uh, covers that tend to keep the lyric and melody structure of the original a lot more than than Edward did, um, just because they're newer. So mm. they're easier to preserve. Um so um, when you hear versions of Poor Ellen Smith, they all sound similar. You know, people take their artistic licenses and stuff, but they're mm-hmm. all pretty much same structure. So the song is based on uh, real events in North Carolina in 1894. 
Uh, Peter DeGraff had a love affair with one Ellen Smith, uh, who began to stalk him after she got pregnant by him and the child died during childbirth. So DeGraff asked her to meet him in a secluded area, uh, making it sound like he wanted to reconcile with her, but instead shot her uh, when she arrived. And then uh, DeGraff finally confessed to this crime while he was on the gallows. Kind of just a bad situation all around. Yeah. Um, and, and this one is insanely popular and has had several famous covers and just listen to how these cover sounds. This is uh, Molly O'Day's cover from 1949. Hell yeah. That's it's so uh, good. That's sick. It's crazy because this truly sounds like something that I would hear in, in like Frontierland. Like this is exactly yeah, what Dollywood. the Frontierland area music sounds like. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. But like the first line is poor Ellen Smith. How is she found? Shot through the heart line, cold like on, the, on ground. the ground. Yeah. Oh my that's God, so, that's so good. Um, so um there's also another um popular one from this era called Tom Dooley. Um uh, so this is another traditional ballad originating from some point in the late 19th century, again, based on a real murder in, you guessed it, North Carolina. Okay. Um, this song fits into a wider genre of no- what's known as the Appalachian Sweetheart Murder Ballads. I said wider, I should have meant narrower, but mm. uh, Appalachian Sweetheart Murder Ballads or murder ballads that have some kind of love angle. Um this song was selected as one of the American songs of the century by rec- the Recording Industry Association of America. Basically, anybody who's anybody in country music has done a Tom Dooley cover. All right. Um, so this is what it sounds like. Hang your head, Tom Dooley. Hang your head and cry. You killed poor Laurie Foster and you know you're bound to die. You left her by the roadside where you begged to be excused. You left her by the roadside, then you hit her clothes and shoes. Hang your head, Tom Dooley, hang your head and cry. You kill poor Laurie Foster, and you know you're bound to die. Yeah, so there's Tom Dooley. Wow. Again, That's it's like, a jam. That is a jam. And it feels, there's a, uh, there's a quote by uh, um, Harlan Howard, who's a, a country songwriter, very, very famous, that, says that like uh, country music is defined as three chords and the truth. And Ooh. all of those, you, you start to understand where that idea comes from, from these kinds of things, because they are musically pretty simple from like a, from like a composition standpoint, which mm-hmm. is so, oh, it's so cool. Yeah. Um, so the story of Tom Dooley goes like this. Uh, in 1866, Laura Foster was murdered. Oh no. Her lover... Uh, Confederate veteran Tom Dula was convicted of the murder and hanged for it uh, in 1868. At the time, Dula was having an affair with two of Laura's cousins, Anne and Pauline. Mm. Now, Pauline's comments about the about um, Laura led to the discovery of her body and then pinned speculation on both Anne and Dula. But Dula insisted, I'm saying Dula, it's pronounced Dooley, sorry, because the Appalachian way that you right. pronounce the A at the end is E. Yeah. Uh, Tom Dooley, it should be. Yeah. Um, so it, the, it pinned the speculation on uh, Anne and Dooley, but Dooley insisted that Anne had nothing to do with it and she was acquitted. However, on the gallows, 
Dooley stated that he had not harmed Laura, but still deserved punishment for leading the press to speculate that Anne was the killer, leading ah. to press speculation that Dooley was merely taking the fall for Anne. Oh, my God. Um, and the murder and trial were given widespread national publicity, thanks to the New York Times, mostly. And the story was translated into several songs and poems at the time, uh, inscribing it quite deep in North Carolina folklore. A lot of folks, especially from the, like, Appalachian-y part of North Carolina, yeah. know the Tom Dooley story. Yeah, you wonder um, like how, uh, when this kind of taking uh, stories and real life events and transforming them into songs shifted from a from a popular practice to a pretty niche practice. I feel like mm -hmm. I was just talking about the uh, bad situation surrounding Mumford and Sons just uh, a few hours ago. Uh, if if you haven't heard, one of them. Uh, uh, tweeted in support of Andy Ngo, who is a, a bad dude, uh, kind of uh, fascist, uh, adjacent, if not outright fascist. Uh, really sad thing for people who really love uh, Roll Your Stone Mumford, or it Little Lion matter of time. Uh, but I was thinking about the quality of Mumford and Son music, and I, I talked about it as a kind of narrative uh, type music and compared it to like U2 where U2, Sunday Bloody Sunday, is still that kind of event song, and but translated. And I'm like, I don't know how many of those we still have. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the times I feel like songwriters will base songs on real events, but then add so much metaphor right. that it like when you trivia. find out, it's Fact. a surprise. Right. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was based on that. Yeah. And you see that with more modern mur murder ballads, too. Right. Yeah, when I feel like American Pie is another like mm -hmm. real life Thing, but yeah. like all and, of those real life things are like again like trivia questions yeah and same thing with jenny was a friend of mine which i found out was based on a true story yeah yeah while researching this episode um but so um the first version of tom dooley was recorded in 1929 um so it is more of a modern one uh, even though it's based on an older story but the most famous version was recorded in 1958 by the kingston trio this record sold six million copies reached number one on the Billboard charts and is credited with starting the folk music boom of the late uh, 50s and throughout the 1960s. Um, so this is what the Kingston Trio sounds like. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Poor boy, you're bound to die. Honestly, I like the other one better, but this is good. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel I think I do too personally, but it is it is good. Yeah. Um, and also this is just fun trivia fact, this is a song of the campers at the beginning of Friday the thirteenth are singing, since ah. that scene takes place in nineteen fifty eight. This was the number one song at the time. Um also unrelated to anything, but I did find that the first one we listened to kind of sounds like Take Me Home, Country Roads. It does. The guitar is also very similar, which yeah. makes a lot of sense. A lot of these um, Appalachian folk songs, not only Appalachian folk, but a lot of uh, Southern and and a lot of the bad white Southern country music, uh, uh, kind of like uh, minstrel-y songs mm -hmm. are often the same exact song, just with swapped out lyrics. Yeah. Um, so um, I want to talk, too, about traditional pop songs. And by that, I don't mean, like, our pop songs right now, right. but, like, pop standards yeah, of yeah, 50s yeah. and 60s, 70s, um, before we kind of get into the modern era of murder ballads, um, contemporary, if you will. Um, and those two songs are Frankie and Johnny and Mac the Knife. Yes. Um, which now we're starting to get towards territory that maybe some folks go, oh, I know that song. 
Um, let's start with Frankie and Johnny. Uh, you may recognize this from the Elvis song or the Johnny Cash song. Here's the Johnny Cash version, which is called Frankie's Man Johnny. Then in the front door walked a redhead. Johnny saw her right away. She came down by the bandstand to watch him while he played. He was Frankie's man, but she was far away. So yeah, if you recognize, that's probably one of the most famous versions. Um, but it's been covered by numerous artists because it's a pop standard and it tells the story of Frankie who finds her man, Johnny, uh, sleeping with another woman and shoots him dead. Good for Short, her. Short, sweet, to the point. Yeah. Um, the song was inspired by a combination of actual murdered, one notably uh, in Missouri in 1899, uh, where a woman named Frankie Baker shot her lover, Alan Britt, after he returned from a cakewalk at a local dance hall where okay. he was with uh, where he was with another woman, Nellie Bly. Oh. No relation to... The famous Nellie Bly. Nellie Bly. Yeah. She was just also named Nellie Bly. It's thought that this was a pseudonym and her real name was Alice Pryor. We don't know for sure, though. Frankie, although, claimed <clears throat> that Alan had attacked her with a knife and she was acting in self-defense and she was acquitted. All right. Um, this is probably the most notable source as shortly after this uh, kind of news story was publicized. The first versions of the song from Balladeers started to appear. Um, but there have been 256 different recordings of this song wow. since it was first conceived. Pretty much anyone who is anyone has covered it. Bob Dylan, Stevie Wonder, Van Morrison, Burl Ives, the oh Red Nose Reindeer God. guy, Jerry Lee Lewis, Lindsay Lohan. Don't know why Lindsay Lohan did it, but she did. Because she's an icon. Um, but the two most famous versions are probably the Johnny Cash one. Um, which reached number nine on the Billboard Country Chart, as well as the Elvis Presley and the Sam Cooke versions. Um, so the Elvis version was a tie-in for the 1966 film of the same name, starring Elvis, and loosely based on the story, although it is a riverboat musical with a happy ending. Oh, I love They're that. They're like gamblers on a gambling riverboat, and they do like this act, like the show. It's a where, Guys like, and Dolls riverboat <laughs> musical. A little bit. She like, Frankie, the girl, like they do this act where she like, shoots fake shoots him or whatever and that's their whole big act or whatever okay. i don't remember but um and then like at the end like there's a misunderstanding this is like a very shakespearean misunderstanding and it gets replaced with a real bullet and she accidentally shoots him with a real bullet oh, but no. he gets saved because he's wearing a gold medallion and it, uh, it, it stops the bullet you um, can't bury in alive elvis yeah. presley and here's so here's the elvis one interestingly about the elvis both the elvis and the johnny cash ones there is no murder in either of those good for them um it's based on the story, but nobody dies. So here's Elvis. Oh, this is Johnny Cash. Here's Elvis. Well, Frankie came looking to find me. Yeah, she wasn't looking for fun. For in her sweet loving hand, she was a toting a 44 gun to shoot a man if he was doing her wrong. There's Elvis. That's a, that's a Elvis, mean, it's a man. jam. Um, guy, but yeah, nobody dies in that version. Huh? Um, however, the Sam Cooke version is probably the closest one where it's both the pop standard and it's the murder ballad because uh, okay. uh, Johnny dies in this one. Here's Sam Cooke. Frankie reached down in a pocketbook and up with a long 44. She shot once, twice, three times and Johnny fell on the hardwood floor. Oh, he was a man or she shot him because she was doing her wrong. But the last thing he told her was Frank. 
I'm obsessed with Sam Cooke. We need to bring pop standards back. That also uh, very much has the same as uh, I'm a wanderer. I'm a wanderer. Oh, yeah. Wanderer, wanderer. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you could pick, uh, like, if this became a pop standard again, if you could pick a modern pop star to, to do a Frankie and Johnny cover, who'd you pick? Oh, um, it's got to be somebody with, like, a lot of body to their voice. Okay. I... I want to say I feel like this is right up Billie Eilish's uh, Ooh, alley. Oh, that's a good one. I, I, my, my initial reaction was was Sam Smith. Okay, okay. But I could see murder him or Adele. I could see murder ballads. Adele, Adele, very much that Adele that would does do this track. Really good. I also uh, Janelle Monae would do a great Ooh, like yeah, pop would. standard version of in it. the style of like the Sam yeah. Cooke version. We need to bring these back. Anyway, okay. let's talk about Mac the Knife because this is one of my personal oh my favorite selections. Yeah. Um, Finally, so we Mac- talk about Brecht on this podcast. Yeah. So Mac the Knife was originally conceived for, like you might know Mac the Knife from the Louis Armstrong version or the Bobby Darren version, but um, it was originally conceived for Bertolt Brecht's The Three Penny Opera meant to introduce the deadly antagonist Mackie Messer or Mac the Knife. And the song was originally in German. Um, the character was based on the highwayman a uh, character Mac Heath in John Gay's The Beggar's Opera, who in turn is based on actual historical thief um, Jack Shepard. Um, so we got a lot of layers. There's a in lot this of this one. Yeah, he was a notorious prison escapee and was in general very cool. Um, so here is uh, what it would have sounded like in the original opera. speak german but we, she's like the lyrics also for for mac the knife have generally stayed the same yeah we need um, to bring back that style of organ into pop so music. yeah interesting story so this is called a barrel organ um and so the character who sings this song is supposed to be like a balladeer who sings it on this barrel organ however on opening night of three penny opera first time it was ever produced um the barrel organ failed did not uh. work so the onstage band, had, which was a jazz band, had to cover and provide backing music. And that's kind of why, why it became a jazz standard. Oh, my God. Um, because there are of two versions, you know, barrel organ version and this jazz like, version. Of course, I mentioned one little thing. And that's not in the outline, y'all. <laughs> that was <laughs> just Adam. That. that was Adam off the cuff. Um, so the lyrics compare McKeith to a shark and tell of his crimes, uh, arson, robbery, assault, murder, you name it. Um and like the the whole first verse, because like we hear it in English is, oh, the shark has such pretty teeth, dear, and he shows in pearly whites. Um, it, it's the same in the German version, just a much more poetic and translated differently because it's German. Um, so the song first got to America in the 1930s when the Three Penny Opera was first translated into English and performed uh, there. But it ran off Broadway for six years in the 1950s, which really popularized the song. Um, and this is where we get both the Louis Armstrong version and the Bobby Derry version. Um, so here is the Louis Armstrong version. And he shows them a pearly white, just a jackknife, as Mac Heat did. And he keeps it outside when the shark bites with his teeth, dear. Scarlet billows. What's interesting about Mac the Knife is we generally like the melody is pretty much the same starting with the original yeah. version. Like 
and a lot of these these ballads, uh, like the melody was changed at some point by by somebody more modern, and then that's kind of the one that translated this melody. Like, yeah, it's stayed the same since the Three Penny Opera was written. Yeah, and it speaks to not only like the kind of culture of the kind of twenties and thirties, especially in like Weimar. Uh, the like propagation of popular music and how it took on elements of jazz, which were super popular, and that leads to more, more and more propagation, uh, and not a lot of desire to remix or change. Um, mm-hmm. But also, it just like it works. It's just so good. <laughs> um, and the Bobby Darren version, which I think is the most wide, I, I think that's the first version I heard. I think it's the most widely known version. Uh, it's a cover of the Louis Armstrong version and was released in 1958. <laughs> about Louis Miller he disappeared babe after drawing out all his hard-earned cash and now Maggie Heath spins just like a sailor could it be our boys done something rash yeah there's Bobby Darren um, I like walk around my house just singing this to myself all the time it's just so catchy um, and again, both this and the Louis Armstrong version, very jolly yeah. sounding songs about something quite gruesome. Um, and honestly, what Mac the Knife is probably most known for today is the fact that it inspired the Mac Tonight McDonald's mascot Ugh. from the 80s. Like that's how it kind of re-entered. Like, so the Bobby Darren song popped up in the 50s, then music moved on. Nobody cared about it. Mac yeah. Tonight happens. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, Mac right. the Knife. 30-year um, cycle, that's how nostalgia works. It's, uh, yeah, it repopularized of- the Bobby Darren version. It's this weird six degrees of separation thing that we got from this gruesome Brechtian song about murder to Mac tonight. If Breck saw Mac tonight, he'd be like, I'm done. Like, no more art. Art's yeah, over. I, uh, there's such a, like, uh, the line you go from Three Penny Opera and Brecht in, again, like Weimar, the, like, pre-fascism part of German history to uh, the American version to Louis Armstrong. You go 20 years in the future, you get a pop version uh, by Bobby Darren. You go 30 years into the future, you have a character based on that in McDonald's, the like most corporatist. Yeah, Brecht uh, was notoriously anti-capitalist. And then you go 30 years into the future and Mac tonight is a is an alt-right. Yeah. <laughs> it's an alt-right mascot. So, you know. Do this to Mac tonight. Uh, um, so... Which kind of leads us into the modern murder ballad, which, yes, there are still murder ballads. We just don't call them murder ballads anymore. And because, like we talked about before, a lot of times artists will layer on metaphor. So when we find out that songs are based on crimes, real stories, it's just kind of like a fun trivia fact. It's not as obvious. Um, uh, Sufjan Stevens, John Wayne Gacy Jr. follows the extremely typical murder ballad structure telling of the the infamous serial killer. It is a straight up a song about John Wayne Gacy Jr., yeah. Um, the Goodbye Earl by the Chicks is the perfect example of a murder ballad, especially going back to its roots of uh, in the pop genre and Western music, like Appalachian folk music. It's perfect textbook definition. Um, Pumped Up Kicks by Foster that, the People, yep. notoriously, famously sells of a school shooter. 
Um, and then, like I said before, Jenny was the, was a friend of mine, but The Killers is a murder ballad from the perspective of The Killer. Well, we don't know if it's a killer, yeah. but it's, um, the song is actually from a murder trilogy by The Killers that includes Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf and Midnight Show. These are these three songs go together. And the trilogy is based on or at least partially inspired by the real life murder of Jennifer Levin in Central Park in 1986. But again, we don't know that because it's not obvious anymore. Right, right. Um Copacabana is a murder ballad. Copacabana is the perfect murder ballad. Uh. Um, And uh, kind of circling back to American Murder Song we talked about before, but I want an excuse to talk about it again um, because they're doing this cool work of making these songs sound like they are from the 19th century, kind of following the traditional structure and exploring the American sensationalism of death and the American profiteering off of death. Um, That's kind of their whole thing. Um, They did a... It's like a, a radio concept album about the Donner Party that's super good. And they have their other album, 18, uh, Year Without a Summer, which is about the 1816 environmental crisis, Year Without a Summer, Volcanic Winter. Um, they also do a cool cover album where they cover like Pumped Up Kicks and Today Was a Friend of Mine. Uh, this is another piece by American Murder Song. This is uh, from Mary, which is an original murder ballad. This was on my Spotify rap for 2020. Oh, good. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, the kind of person that I am. Like people were like looking at my Spotify wrapped and it was all, I mean, it was mostly ghosts, but then it was also a lot of American murder song. Yeah. I won't um, share what was on my Spotify. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of, of a, Mattel, uh, which actually, you know. Yeah, that's a, a brief, uh, very brief history of murder ballad. Again, barely scratching the surface. There are literally thousands out there i have a playlist on spotify it's if you search contemporary murder ballads and find my name i have a great compiled playlist of all murder ballads from like 1950 on check it out it's great genuinely i'm going to be listening to it while i'm editing this episode because i'm so in the mood uh thank you so much for listening to this episode of the great american scream it is episode 53 which is absolutely insane thank you guys for listening all the way through or if you're just starting it's great to have you if you enjoyed please subscribe and review if you're on iTunes, follow if you're on Spotify, or on any podcatcher of your choosing. Next week, we're going to be talking about Five Nights at Freddy's. I'm <laughs> taking over the podcast once again. So uh, tweet us weird stuff about Five Nights. I want to see it. Uh, also, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash greatscreampod. Check it out. We have cool rewards. We had a stream the other week. We'll be doing more of those in the future. It's yeah. super I'll post fun. a link to, to that this uh, Contemporary Murder Battle playlist on the Patreon for you lovely people. For sure. And you also get early access to episodes, which is super exciting. Adam, can you pimp our social medias? Uh, yes, you can check us out on Facebook at The Great American Scream or more frequently on Twitter and Instagram at Great Scream Pod. Uh, please send us your favorite murder ballads. Any I didn't mention um, uh, from any era, uh, era, please send them to me. I want to listen to them. Uh, you can tweet at us or post using the hashtag TGAS. And as always, if there is something you would like to hear about on the show, uh, tweet it at us, send it to us because uh, your suggestion may become a topic for a future episode. You can also, brand new, you can email episode suggestions to us as oh. well uh, at greatscreenpod at gmail.com. Yay. Special thank you goes out to Michael Segudo, who does the disclaimer at the beginning, as well as Stevie Viola, who does the intro and outro music. And a special thank you goes out as well to our current patrons. Thank you so much for supporting the show and making what we do possible. It's really great. It's like 
really nice to be like, oh, this isn't uh, now a financial negative. <laughs> it is actually a positive. So thank you to Ben, Eric, Casper, Gail, Joyce, Rucker, Melinda, and Chris. I've been Devin Wright. I've been Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked, but not enough to kill you and there to be a murder ballot about you because that would be bad and we would get uh, arrested for crime. Not very safe. Not very safe. You should be that safe, that is. (laughs) 